Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised. I worship you. Andy, it's a common belief among Christians that the church is the bride of Christ. In other words, it's a common belief that every believer will automatically be part of the bride. But although it's a popular view, I don't believe scripture supports it. Well, I agree with you, Jordan. But we're going to have to prove it by carefully reviewing the verses about the bride. You're right, Andy. Let's do it. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Balog. Please turn with us in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And get ready also to turn to Revelation chapter 19 as we begin another 20-minute Bible study. Two readings in the New Living Translation, the first from Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. That was Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. Now, turning to the book of Revelation, chapter 19, and beginning in verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are true words that come from God. That was Revelation 19, verses 6 to 9. May the Lord add his blessing to both readings of his word. So we always want to take out of the Bible what God put into it, and that means it's time to go to space. Space is an acronym that reminds us to identify the S, P, A, and C, that's the speaker, audience, and context, before attempting an E, explanation. Now, the speaker in Ephesians is the Apostle Paul. His audience is the church at Ephesus, but also all the churches in that area, since these letters were typically passed around among the churches. What about the book of Revelation, Andy? Well, Jordan, it was a vision of the Apostle John. So when the text says, I heard, that's actually John saying he heard. So John here is the speaker. The audience is the church, and in fact, Seven specific churches are mentioned at the beginning of the book, and you can see that in chapters 2 and also chapter 3 of Revelation. Now, the context of Revelation 19 is the time at the end of the seven-year tribulation and right before the millennial kingdom begins. 
Okay, so now that we've covered the speaker, audience, and context, we're ready to get into the explanation. Let's listen again to Ephesians 5 from verse 25 to 26. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Okay, so verse 26 is a good example of why I only use the NASB for scripture readings. The NLT version, the word might is actually omitted in verse 26 before sanctify, and also later in verse 27 before present. So in other words, the NASB says Christ gave himself up for the church so that he might sanctify her and that he cleansed the church so that he might present her to himself without spot or wrinkle. Now, both verbs are in the subjunctive mood, which basically just means the mood of possibility and potentiality. The action described may or may not occur, depending upon the circumstances here. So without the word might included in the NLT version, anyone can lose the meaning, which leads to the doctrinal confusion that we're talking about in this lesson. And again, without the word might, people don't understand that Jesus loved the church, which is actually in the past perfect tense, meaning that it happened once forever and it will never change, so that he might sanctify her, and that's conditional. So there are, there are multiple methods for interpreting scripture. And uh, you've gone to the most scholarly and technical one, which is really great if people have the, uh, if they're equipped to do that. But there's also the methods that we're going to talk about today as another way of arriving at the truth about a particular Bible passage. So let's talk about typology, which is the study of Bible symbols and also God's relationship with his people, which is represented by the type or symbol of marriage. In the Old Testament, God's chosen people, Israel, are represented as an adulterous wife. And you can see that in Jeremiah chapter 3 or Ezekiel chapter 16. Why adulterous? Because the Israelites cheated on God, essentially, by violating the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. In the New Testament, we see God's intention that the church be a better wife to his son, that is, a holy and clean wife. But notice God did not rely on the people to accomplish this task again because we, like Israel, would fail to remain pure. Instead, in his love, the bridegroom himself did the work for the bride, giving up his life to keep her clean. Yes, Jordan. And you know, to be more specific, the work that Jesus did was pay for all the sins of the church. He washed away all sins, keeping us spiritual virgins in typology. It's, you know, like we're uncontaminated, if you will. Now, what we will see today is that in order for Christians to qualify for being more than just saved or more than just part of the body of the church is, for instance, to be a wedding guest or better yet, his future bride, is that we have to earn that right. That's why we have to not only understand that we're saved, but now that we're saved, we have to try to push ourselves under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to, to attain to something higher. And that's why I said earlier that these passages are conditional in certain places. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. 
This standard is obviously one we cannot meet, which is why this verse begins, he did this. So the proper wording in the Greek is, so that he might present to himself the church in all her glory without spot or blemish or wrinkle. And what we see here is that God is telling us that for the church to one day be in, quote, all its glory is conditional. These are works by the Holy Spirit, which we know is sealed in us, that have to be performed once we are already saved. And like I mentioned earlier, in order for us to attain to these higher levels. Now let's listen again to our scripture reading from Revelation 19, starting with verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. So let's talk about where we are in time. This is the inauguration of King Jesus' earthly reign. Imagine perhaps a crowning ceremony in one of those shows about royal times. Actually, it's even more grand than that because there's also about to be a wedding feast as well, a crowning and a wedding. Right before Jesus begins his thousand-year reign, he will marry the bride, whom he died for, the glorious church that we heard Paul speak about. But will that be the whole church? That's the question today. Will the whole church be deemed holy and without fault? as it says. To begin to answer that question, we need to consider two other places in the New Testament that mention this wedding, two parables that Jesus told. We find one in Matthew 25, where Jesus tells a story meant to illustrate what the kingdom of heaven will be like. In other words, he's prophesying about the time period we just read about in Revelation 19, the wedding and the inauguration of King Jesus at his second coming. The story is about 10 bridesmaids. Andy, would you mind summarizing the rest of this parable and what it tells us? So this is a specific parable about the kingdom of heaven, which is not about salvation. It's about the future millennial kingdom. So we understand that's the context. And it's written to all Christians, but there's a lesson here. These virgins, these 10 virgins are split into two groups. It is not a lost man and a saved man. It's not split up into Jews and Gentiles. This is specifically for all Christians only. And what Jesus is trying to tell us is that you're going to fit into one of two groups. You're either going to be a wise virgin that has a backup portion or a double portion of oil in their life, or you're just going to go through life with the single portion, just living with and letting your light shine with what I've given you. So the lesson here overall, Jordan, is that the wise virgin, which is what the Lord wants us to be, wants us to make sure that we have a backup portion of oil. Oil is just a representation of the fuel that gives light to our lamp. And the reason why we have a lamp, of course, is Jesus Christ. But in order to get that that oil, that backup oil, the backup portion, that double portion, it requires us to go deeper into Scripture and have a better understanding, an intimate understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. And really, that's what the purpose of our ministry is, is we're trying to get our listeners to learn that there's more to Christianity than just being saved. Now that we are saved, we need to go deeper into His Word and make more of a conscious effort to repent from sin and to confess our sin to him and to live that righteous life. And not only to read and memorize scripture, 
but to actually have an understanding to the point where we have an intimate relationship with him. And that's what the kingdom truth is about. It's letting Christians know now that we're saved, how do we live our life? And why should we live this difficult, strict, righteous lifestyle? It's because of that hope that one day the Lord Jesus Christ will allow us that we will qualify to be joint heirs with him and rule and reign with him during his millennial kingdom. Great, Andy. Thank you so much. That's uh, perfect. And then, you know, also of note in that particular, this particular parable, the one of the 10 virgins is how it ends. If you go back a chapter, this is part of a series of private prophecies that Jesus shared with his disciples. Let's listen to a few key verses from the Gospel of Matthew. Our guest reader today is JP. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? So this parable is part of what Jesus told them. And he ends the parable by saying to his inner circle, his closest disciples, the following. Matthew chapter 25, verse 13. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. In other words, he warns them not to become like the foolish virgins who did not keep watch and were caught by surprise. So forget about being the bride. He's warning them, and by extension all believers who are paying attention, that is, that we can be disqualified from even being a bridesmaid. Yes, but not from losing everlasting life. Keep in mind, since by his grace and will, we were bought and paid for with his blood. Now, with that in mind, let's return to our text for today. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. I want to contrast two phrases here. His bride has prepared herself, and she has been given. The first says that the bride has done a good work for herself. She is prepared. The second says the bride has been given something, and that something is pure white linen. Then we immediately learn what the pure white linen symbolizes, the, quote, good deeds or good works of God's holy people. These are important things to notice because those who believe the bride is the church also believe that because of grace, every member of the church gets to be part of the bride. But if that's the case, why are these verses about works? And why does it say the works the bride is given to wear are of God's people, not God's son? It seems these verses are about the prize, that which is earned and not guaranteed, not about the gift that which is not earned and is guaranteed. Exactly. And to kind of support this truth, I'd like to go to Proverbs 31. This is a very, very famous proverb. Most people, most pastors like to address this proverb on Mother's Day because they think it's just about, you know, what a good mom should be and what a good mother is or a good wife is. But we're going to see actually that's somewhat of a distraction because then we're losing focus of why God specifically put these verses in the Bible. So we see in Proverbs 31 the traits of an excellent wife or bride. And here are some key verse points that teach us to measure ourselves against this wife and how the husband feels about her specifically. 
So first I'll read verses which compare the bride to the virgins in Matthew 25. Verse 15 says, she rises while it is still night and gives food to her household. Verse 18, she senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. Next, I'll read some verses which speak of the relationship between the bride and her husband. Verse 10, she is called an excellent wife. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Verse 29, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. And finally, here are verses that speak of the wife's garments. Verse 13, she looks for wool and flax, which is linen, and works with her hands in delight. Works. Verse 19, she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp grasp the spindle. Those are basically what we would call a sewing machine today. Verse 22, she makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Purple always representing majesty. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. Verse 31, give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Yeah, this verse immediately makes me think of the parable of the wedding feast from Matthew 22. That's the other parable that talks about the wedding feast of the Lamb. Here, Jesus tells the story to the Jewish leaders and compares them to the invited guests, prophesying that they would reject the invitation. That is to say, Israel would reject him, their Messiah or King. Indeed, Jesus prophesies that they will continue their practice of shooting the messengers, so to speak. That is to say, persecuting the prophets and apostles. Then in the story, the son's father gets furious about this, and the invited guests and their towns are destroyed. Which, of course, could be a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in the second Jewish temple by the Romans in 70 AD. And that timing makes sense because of the next part of the story. The king invites anyone who will come to be the guests. That is, salvation goes to all the world. And what I want to call out here is that the new invited guests clearly represent the church. Yet notice they are guests at the wedding and not the bride. So we can kind of see these levels of believers at the wedding feast of the Lamb. We have the wedding guests, the bridesmaids, and the bride. We should also notice how the parable ends, Andy. Because here again, another kind of believer is revealed. Yeah, Jordan, we need to talk about the man who slips into the wedding without a wedding garment. Let me read these verses quickly for our listeners. Verse 11, but when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. Verse 12, and he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Verse 13. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. 
Now, in case you're confused, yes, this man is saved. He didn't just slip into heaven and he couldn't just slip into the rapture. He slipped into the wedding feast. Scripture and Jewish history from the days of Jesus teach us that a wedding garment was uniquely woven over a period of time. It's important to understand that this was expensive and it was slowly custom woven as free time and your finances were available to purchase materials. Now, today the lesson learned is that a Christian will be rejected entrance into the wedding ceremony of Christ if they do not have spiritually led works which should have been produced in their lives during their walk on earth. This man was saved or called, but he was not part of the chosen or outcalled. Yeah, we covered a lot of material in this lesson. So to summarize, what we are seeing here is that there are potentially five different levels of believers in view in these two parables. Right. The first level is the invited guest. Now, this represents all who respond to the call of God and who accept the free gift of salvation. The second level we might call the properly attired guest, and this represents all who live righteously, preparing themselves by doing good works to be properly dressed for the big day when Christ returns. And then the third level is the wise bridesmaid. This represents an even higher level of believer since bridesmaids just attend to the bride, and because they have the double portion of oil in the parable, which we read earlier, that represents the Holy Spirit, a double portion of the Spirit. The fourth level is the bride. That's the highest level of believer, one fit to be wed to the king. And then we also have level zero, which is the improper guest or the foolish bridesmaid. And we learned that these were disqualified believers, those who squandered their opportunity and then they're shut out or they're kicked out of the wedding feast itself. And because of that, they suffer loss. This will eventually, we could say it will feel like heartbreak for them, which leads to deep weeping. So maybe some of you listeners are thinking, in the verse that we read in Ephesians, Paul says Jesus is doing all the work, and it says that he gave up his life, and he did this to make his bride holy and without fault, to remove the spots and the wrinkles. So why would he only do that for some believers and not others? Doesn't this suggest he'll do it for the whole church? Doesn't that mean the whole church is the bride, Jordan? I think one key phrase there is washed by the cleansing of God's word. In the Greek, this has the sense of bathing in the promises of the gospel. It seems to me that this doesn't refer to the one-time act of justification. Just like we don't bathe once and get clean forever, we don't get saved and then live a sinless life, right? Also, the bride's wedding garment is described as being of the finest quality, pure white, completely clean, and without spot or wrinkle. According to our text, it represents good deeds. Conversely, we know our lives are full of sin or bad deeds. If these works were represented as garments, they would be shabby and constantly stained and wrinkled with sin. Like the underdressed man in our Lord's parable, many of us wouldn't even bother to try to create a garment worthy of a wedding. And that's especially foolish because Jesus does all the actual work. All we have to do is keep asking him to do that work in us, to keep bathing in the promises, and we'll be counted as perfect because he is perfect. Amen. That's 20 minutes, and that's our lesson. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. 
Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Reserved Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.